0: The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you have never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It will show you the power you have as a believer to defeat worry and to experience profound peace in every circumstance. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's peace at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2021. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur.
1: want to just take a moment and welcome you once again, especially our online audience, since this is, you know, technically an online-only event. Um few stragglers have wandered into the worship center just so you
2: have a it's been happening a lot lately <laughs> that's
1: that's funnier than some of you realize uh, so welcome to our q a session this afternoon uh it's always a privilege to sit with you john and and talk to you about what what you've been thinking and it's most appropriate that we're we're, we're having this conversation for pastors uh, at the State of the Church event. This is definitely a non-Shepherds Conference. Not only is it a thin crowd, but there's no good snacks. And the music has been terrible today because um, we don't have any music. So it, it's just not Shepherds Conference. It's, so uh, we long for the return of that, and we're hopeful to do that in August. But yeah. we do have a lot to talk about from the past year. The last time you were doing a Q&A with pastors Uh, on this stage was in March of 2020, uh, a fateful year. So I think it'd be helpful for you to walk through what that year has been like for you as pastor of Grace Community Church. Your 52nd year in ministry here uh, has been a doozy.
2: Yeah, I think um, the most unusual year of the 52 by far, there are... Uh, points in the first 50 where, you know, certain issues arose like 9-11 or the fall of Jimmy Swaggart or, you know, an earthquake and people died in Southern California. You sort of stop and address those things, and, and there's a there's a long list of sermons that I have preached uh, addressing current issues, even wars and um, elections and things like that, but nothing that has gone on for an entire year. It's like we've been in a war hmm. for a year, and uh, so, in in sort of a a, a low level Spurgeon esque effort, instead of going through a book, I've just had to come up with a different sermon every week for for a year. Um, it's it's a tough thing to do, but it would be tougher if there weren't such obvious, widespread exigencies going on around me that needed to be addressed from Scripture. So. That's what I've, I've tried to do. You, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can tell the weather, but you can't tell the signs of the times. And I, I think preaching to the signs of the times is very important. You can't ignore those things or people think you're out of touch and they want the Word of God applied to the issues that they're facing. Um, so that, that's been an, an exciting thing to have people come with almost bated breath every week waiting to have a biblical perspective on what's going on all around them. Um, And the other thing that's been amazing is as um, people started to come back, we were empty for the first couple of months, and then people started coming back on their own. And now there's this massive crowd that shows up here every Sunday, and they have for months and months and months. And the joy is palpable, as you know. Uh, when we start the service, they start clapping um, out of sheer joy and gratitude that they're able to meet without masks and social distancing and people aren't sick and nobody's dying and the plague hasn't hit us and, you know, the sky hasn't fallen in and the city of L.A. has taken us to court 12 times and they can't shut us down and they try to take away our parking. And instead of that, the synagogue down the street gives us their 100 spaces and so we got more. and the, a month ago, they told us they were going to take the parking lot across the wash and turn it into a homeless encampment to penalize us. And I said that'd be great. We'd just have seminary students go over there all day and evangelize all those homeless people. And um, so it's, it's you know, we've been fighting on one hand uh, with the government, but at the same time, it we have been so amazingly protected. They have not been able to find us at all because they can't get past the First Amendment issue of free exercise of religion until that's litigated in a court. Nothing else applies to us, and that was kind of the, the strategy. So I don't know how much money, Mark, did we put in an escrow account for the health department. Ten thousand. Ten thousand, how often? Uh, about eight times. One thousand each time. Oh, one thousand. So they fined us a thousand dollars per s- last ten weeks, uh, which is fine. We'll... Take that. It goes in an escrow account. They, they can't get it because they haven't been able to litigate around the First Amendment. Um, the goodwill, um, in the community is amazing because we have a new category of people called Grace Refugees who have poured into here from other churches that are closed and they found out that this is a church like no other church they've been to and, um, you know, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, and what they find is sound doctrine produces loving people. So it's, it's been the greatest time of church growth in the history of Grace Church.
1: And I think that, you know, you've, you've been preparing for this your whole life unknowingly. I mean, this <laughs> battle this year, uh, it's just, it just so happens you're a, you're a warrior, you're a fighter, by nature, you're a guy who's always been defending and always been critiquing what what's you perceive to be a threat to the church. And so now a time has, has come upon our church and upon the churches around the world that their freedoms are being taken away from them uh, under the guise of public safety and, and health, public health, whatever that is. And, and so, how do you think that God has prepped you for this? We're grateful you're here, MacArthur, because there's not a lot of people at the forefront of this resistance.
2: Well, at my age, it's good to be here, but it's even better to know you're here. So, And to know you're here. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm engaged in any different battle than I've ever been in. Hmm. I, I just I feel like you have to do what's right, and you have to be reasonable and sensible. And when when our people began to realize that this this they were being lied to, uh, and that 99% of the people who get COVID and are going to be fine, they didn't believe the narrative. So on their own, they just started coming back and coming back and coming back and um, the Health Department at one point said they found three people who tested positive in our church and uh said we were i don 't know they put us on a list of places where there was an outbreak, three people and uh, a couple of weeks later they removed us from that because they came back and you know that was that was it so the Lord has protected us i i couldn 't have predicted that necessarily that we wouldn 't have more people being ill. Uh, it's gone through our congregation uh, to whatever degree, it was symptomatically or asymptomatically, and we've continued to meet. And so I don't think this is some miracle. I just think this is looking at reality. And uh, we talked to people who knew what that reality was, and I was following what the courts were saying, because we were litigating it in court, and the attorneys were, on our defense, were going into court saying, look, 99% of the people who... Who get this recovered? That is not that is not a pandemic. That is not a plague. And so we decided that for all the all the reasons that we need, which is the Lord commands us to meet and to preach His truth. And if people are fearful, all the more reason to do that. So um, that's what we've been doing all along. And um, while we haven't had you know say what James Coates has had taken off into. In shackles into prison up in Canada. Um, for whatever reason, the Lord has allowed me to continue to preach, and even people in the health department are more supportive of our church than they are the health department. They're embarrassed by what the health department's doing. Um, we we definitely are a thorn in the side of the of the godless politicians who would want to shut us down, but they haven't been able to find a way to do it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to see what this year has brought out in churches, and you've heard from a lot of pastors, both thanking you for your stand and also from those who've asked for your help because their churches are divided in this time between mask wearers, anti-mask wearers, between those who think the church should do more or is is doing too much. And so there's there's something about this era that's exposed in churches, a, a kind of Disunity, a, a fragile sort of fellowship, and what we've experienced here after being shut down for ten weeks or whatever it was, and then coming back, I mean, the people are just so excited about fellowship. But we've experienced folks who, who've who've struggled with with that, and, and we've done a lot at our church to mitigate. You know, for those who feel more comfortable outside, I don't know if you notice there's a enormous tent in our parking lot sure. um, for those of you who are visiting. But so so talk about the the issues of unity—is is, was this just something that was always in the church? Was there a danger of disunity, and this kind of exposed it. Or is it this particular issue? Why why are so many pastors struggling with divisive
2: people in this in this time? Yeah, well, I think you get into trouble if you try to make one size fits all, because there are people with reasonable fear; they have comorbidities. Uh, they there are other people with unreasonable fear, but it's fear nonetheless. So we have not. uh, heap scorn on people who chose not to come, and there's probably 700 people who haven't been back to Grace Church. Their spots have been filled by probably three times that amount of people, but uh, we've ministered to them, we've nurtured them, we've kept in contact with them, we've shepherded them, and uh, if uh, there are people who who choose to wear a mask, there were a few at the beginning, and the more people came back and they were fine, the, the less masks there are. Um, but we never mocked that. We never uh, wanted to um, make people who had reasonable or unreasonable fears feel second class or feel like they were, you know, not obeying the Lord. So uh, we, we just wanted people to do whatever they felt comfortable doing. And if they didn't want to come back at all, we still would reach out and minister to them and take food to them and do whatever we could. So I think... I mean, that, that's part of leadership, is everybody grows at a different pace, and everybody is not the same in terms of the same fears and the same issues in their life, and we didn't want anybody to feel like there was something spiritually wrong with them if they uh, chose a mask or chose to, to go out in the tent or sit out in the patio. So we made all those possibilities available right. to
1: them. but we didn't want to dictate something no. that's extra biblical to our people. You must wear a mask or you must not wear a mask. We, we, we wouldn't go that route because our whole point is uh, we're, we're going to worship with freedom, and these things are not going to define our worship. They're not allowed to inform all right. our worship.
2: And as time goes on and people keep coming and coming, all that begins to change. They, they lose those fears. They're right. traded in for trust, and and they see everybody happy and healthy and flourishing. and. Yeah. I remember the Sunday we brought back a thousand children who hadn't been here, Right. and um, it was just an amazing day. We had balloons all over the campus to welcome the children. We gave them all big lollipops, and kids were coming to me and thanking they me. They didn't share the lollipops. They were individual lollipops. Yeah. <laughs> well, as as we still know, still but... a
1: germaphobe over here. I mean, MacArthur, you led the way for, I mean, look, at, look who's following you now. Texas is following you. Florida is following you. <laughs> Louisiana, I mean, they're all following MacArthur. He, he called uh, it.
2: I just think if you're going to lead, you need to lead. You need to get out on the front end of it, not the back end of it where you're standing. You're operating in fear of everything the health department says. You know, you're lagging behind that, and that just cultivates the fear among your people. Uh, you know, the the commodity that we have, and it's really all we have, is the truth. And you could say, well, that's biblical truth. Yeah, but it extends to, to, to being able to analyze reality as well. So, you know, I wanted our people to know that the truth was not what they were being told um, and so, from time to time i would I would tell them those statistics, those kinds of things, and they began to realize that um, what is going on has very little to do with the bug and a whole lot to do with crushing the country for the whims of those elite who are in power to gain more power it's a weird revolution, most revolutions. Yeah. Come from the bottom up. The the abused people riot. This is a revolution from the top down. The people at the top who have all the power want more power, and so they're crushing the people even more below them. Uh, This is a different kind of revolution. Yeah. I think COVID is a reality, and um, we don't want to deny it, but there are lots of other uh, challenges in life where we face the reality of death without doing so much damage. Right.
1: And, I mean, you, you've been prophetic in talking about how these lockdowns are not only ineffective, but they destroy livelihoods and they've caused a lot of problems. Meanwhile, well, well, we're all facing this year, there's also been this massive racial surge of discussion of injustice, of uh, systemic racism. Uh, this has become maybe even you know, alongside of the the COVID thing, the the huge national narrative. And you started talking about this in 2018, I think, was Mm -hmm. when you started to address critical theory. And it was then that I think only university students were talking about it. Uh, But you saw it creeping into the church early on. So why don't we also include that into the the wonderful experience that 2020 has been?
2: Well, yeah, I... uh... I think when you standardize indictments and guilt based upon anyone's ethnicity or color or anything like that, that's, that's not related to reality. So um, I, I reject all of that. Is there injustice in the world? Of course. That's why the kingdom of righteousness isn't going to come till the righteous king gets here. Mm-hmm. But again, what I was trying to say earlier this morning is you can't fix it. Only Christ can fix it, but along the way we can fix the hearts and souls of the people who are caught up in all the injustice of the world by bringing them the gospel of Christ. So, um, we, we have to rescue people one soul at a time. We can't change societal structure. There's plenty, plenty of evidence of the corruption of the CRT and Neo-Marxism, and I, I mentioned offhand, it comes from philosophers from 300 years ago who are godless, Christless, immoral people who devised all of these things. Um, but, I, but in the original reaction, I did a series on Ezekiel 18 because I wanted to point out that the heart and soul of the, the gospel starts with one's understanding of guilt. And it's not collective guilt, and it's not racial guilt. It's personal guilt. And if you take people off the hook for their own sinfulness, you you cut them off from the gospel. Yeah. So it's very important that people don't get away with blaming some uh, some problem in their life on what somebody did to their grand great grandfather two hundred years ago. Um, but but. Part of the trend is to make everybody into a victim. We talk about that a lot, victimology. And um, the, the, the Scripture would say, you're not a victim of anything but your own corruption. Oh, well, sure, we, we all have to deal with the difficulties and being treated unkindly and unfairly. And But in the end of the day, God's going to hold you responsible for your sin. You're not going to be responsible for something your ancestor did. You're not going to be able to blame the the weaknesses and failures of your life on some something passed down to you in some kind of identity. So I I just thought that if people will always try to make an excuse for being the way they are, and the Lord never lets them do that. Yeah, it's 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 Mark's gospel. It's not what goes into the man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man that defiles him. You, you, if you were all alone in the world, you'd be defiled. Yeah. You don't need any history to be defiled. You are defiled. And that's where the gospel has to start.
1: Mac, you've been addressing things that other pastors, I think, are scared to talk about at times uh, because there's so much tension and, and there's so many headlines about these things. Uh, and you've been remarkably consistent. You've acknowledged all throughout that racism is a terrible evil that it's the sin of, of partiality in James 2, or, or malice, or strife, uh, various other you know, manifestations of that. But you've also made it very clear that, that critical theory, especially as it's embraced by Christians or syncretized with, with Christianity, is vicious, and uh, identity politics are problematic, and you've talked about the Marxist roots, and um, that this isn't going to remove the stain of racism. This isn't going to transform human hearts. You've made that really clear. Why is this so attractive to evangelicals? Why, why do they? Why are they? Why do they think that this may have something for them that's going to help them? Is it? Is it because of evangelism? Is it because? Why?
2: Why is it? It's because for for a long time they've been drinking the Kool Aid of thinking they need to win over the culture in order to bring people to Christ, whether it's um, uh, truncating the gospel or creating a inoffensive message, uh, whether it's Joel Osteen standing up and saying God exists for one purpose, and that is to fulfill your dreams. Uh, that That's a message you can sell to a, to a whole bunch of sinners because it has no offensive character in it. So I, I think pragmatism has taken over the church to such a degree that people actually assume that you can't reach people um, unless you somehow bridge whatever there is that stands in the way of, uh, of the gospel. And the assumption is, uh, it, for some people, it could be um, that they don't like the style, so they don't like the music, so they don't like a talking head, so let's do some cool things and we'll bridge that way. For other people, they got all these racial issues, and because they re- relate them to maybe Christianity in some way, we, we've got to build the bridge across the racial divide. We've got to confront the social issues. Um, the, the, the church is—this is what I was saying this morning—the church has always, always been sucked into the lie that somehow there is in the world a way that the kingdom of darkness can help the kingdom of light. And, uh, I think, I don't think people do this knowing they're getting seduced. I think they do it thinking it's going to access the gospel. What, what does access the gospel is love on a personal level, and I would never advocate anything less than that. Mm-hmm. And compassion and sympathy and understanding. When Jesus came into the world, uh, it was obvious to him that people suffered, and that's why he healed people, and that's why he fed hungry people. And he was showing the compassion of God toward those who suffer physically, and I think that's a reasonable thing. Uh, so we reach out to those people, but that's not the gospel. The, the the gospel is the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ, repentance and faith in Christ. Um, when when the church gets too involved in that, then you get the social gospel which destroyed all the denominations. and and has now essentially destroyed evangelicalism. Current evangelicalism is—it uh, has no relationship to the evangelicalism of ten years ago hmm. um, because of the social justice issue. And, and the evangelicalism of ten years ago had little connection to the evangelicalism of 15 years before that because pragmatism hadn't come in. So that there, there's always the temptation to cross the divide between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and borrow things from the kingdom of darkness that, think you, that you think are going to aid you. I mean, Jerry Falwell believed that, right? Yeah. That he believed that, um, you know, if we're going to reach the world, we've got to have a Christian president, a Christian congress, and a Christian senate. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And um, what you do in terms of social change, lobbying hard and fast for social change and giving too much of your time to that uh, has nothing to do with the Kingdom of God. That's why Paul said we preach Christ and Him crucified. There's a singularity in our focus. We we do it with love and compassion.
1: That's, I think, what's so remarkable about what you said this morning is you were talking about separation, and, and maybe some people are used to hearing that word on the lips of the fundamentalists you know the, the mm-hmm. they, their separation is boycott disengage move to the woods you know that that's not the kind of separation you're talking about you're talking about engaging with the truth and only the truth it, it's a separation from their methods and tools and
2: right exactly well. it's it's not the classic second-degree, third-degree separation, right. I don't cooperate with people who cooperate with liberals, and I don't cooperate with people who cooperate with people who cooperate with people who cooperate with, who cooperate with liberals, and, you know, fourth-degree separation, that is not what it is. It is thinking that there's anything in the darkness that's going to help the light, anything. Right. We have everything we need here in the book and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and if we're faithful to that, then the work of the kingdom advances. It's. it's and by the way... The, without being conscious of all these crazy identities, it's amazing how the church grows. And our church looks like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. This looks like LA because the Lord is saving people from every tongue, tribe, and nation in LA. And this is how the church looks. And we we don't, we don't play the race card in any sense, but um, the Lord draws his people together.
1: And that's, I think, what was so clarifying about this morning is, is you're talking about the kingdom is exclusive to the cross. And not only does it accompany suffering, but there's not a way to mitigate that from right. what we're doing. And, right,
2: and that was the other main point I was trying to make was that if you, if you try to remove the offense, you're doing the devil's work. Right. And that's what Peter was saying. You don't need to die. You just, you just need the, the triumph, the victory the The path to the crown is the cross. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. That's assumed all who live godly in this present generation will suffer that's it's it's, it's it's assumed because you're confronting people as Jesus said and telling them that their deeds are evil and they hate you because you tell them their deeds are evil. The first thing you want to say to a person is that um when you introduce the gospel, is that you want to tell them they need to repent Mm -hmm. for their sin. That's where you start. You need to tell them, inform them of the danger they're in and the fact that they need to repent of their sin. And then you want to tell them about the gospel, and if they repent and believe They'll be forgiven and they'll escape the judgment of God and an abundant life will be theirs. So everything has to start with that. And if you've got people who don't take responsibility for their own condition and their own sin, you're cutting them off at the front end of the gospel. So what I'm
1: hearing you say is I think the same thing that you've been known for your whole ministry, whether it's talking about uh, government overreach in our weird Orwellian society, or whether it's uh, CRT infiltrating the church, or whether it's back to your battle against uh, psychology and integration of that into Christian counseling. I mean, you've always been saying that the scripture is all we need, the sufficiency of scripture. It seems to be the theme throughout. Is that also? I mean, it, it tie it into tie it into all the battles you fought. That's are you a one string guitar, MacArthur? Is that?
2: Yeah, there's no question about that. I have no other source. I have no other. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing in me that's intuitive, that rises to the level of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, once I get outside of this book, I'm I'm wandering in la la land. So. It isn't just this book, but it's this book rightly divided and correctly interpreted, and it, it drives at every every human need and every problem and offers the divine solution. So um, without necessarily, of you know, sort of addressing every single problem by name, mm-hmm. you, you teach the Word of God, and the Word of God builds up the saints, and they become... Strong in their spiritual life and walking in the Spirit, and that that sort of takes care of all the specific issues. So, look, I don't know that I could say this with the same conviction 50 years ago, but after a half a century of teaching the Word of God to a congregation and seeing what it does, it has exceeded anything I could ever have imagined. And now I'm I'm beginning to teach the fourth generation here. Right so um i've seen the work of the Word, and, as I said earlier, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, and that 's what you get sound doctrine produces a pure heart, which produces a loving people um, it, it takes a, a while to see that flourish you uh, know in, in a group this large, but that's that's exactly what we 've seen and I'm not oblivious to the issues in the world i mean we, we live in the world it's not like I have to people say to me, what do you read to get in touch with what's going on in the world?" I don't have to I don't have to read anything it's just it comes at me I can't fight it off uh, but occasionally I do read those kinds of things and you're aware of what's going on but the answers are all the same you go back to the Word of God
1: are you foreseeing this issue the current issue being something that's going to split evangelicalism is evangelicalism originally we were going to do the conference theme on reclaiming evangelicalism why don't you give us a sneak
0: peak of kind of
1: what what you're thinking about the future of evangelicalism. Is it going to be woke and not woke,
2: or how's this going to work? um, Evangelicalism is such a big tent now, I don't know that it means anything. Hmm. R.C., I used to talk about that, R.C. Sproul, and we both agreed we needed a new name. And, um, you know, we threw around a bunch of names from time to time, and he finally came up with imputationists. And I said, "That's not going to work. People think we cut off their limbs." Right. So, Sproul didn't make a
1: lot of mistakes, but that was one of them.
2: Yeah. Sure. So, so we decided. We decided. We had the conversation with you. Maybe we should come up with a new name. And we said, "Well, let's take another run." That was the idea. Another run at saving evangelicalism as a term. Um, but it's it's hard it's hard to define it because the world. Sees it as a very broad term that includes everything from Joel Osteen to Rabbi Zacharias. Right. So I don't want to be in that group, right? I don't really want right. to be in that group. So give me a new name. Give me a new group. Um,
1: but you love the evangel of
2: it. Yeah, I mean, that's but that's but what the, you're the, saying. The, sure. Is that's
1: the only thing
2: that's going to change right. this?
1: The hearts of the
2: people in this world is that. So that's why I don't want to let go of it. Oh, right. It's a better word than fundamentalist, you know. No fun, too much damn and not enough mental. That doesn't really, you know, that word is it, that. The, the, although it is used in in scripture, it uh, it has been polluted with uh, narrowness and Phariseeism and all that. Right. But the evangel is the evangel. You right. to preach the gospel. So. We decided to try to hang on to that word and see if we could purify it. I noticed last week that uh, Tabidi and Wehle did an interview with a guy and and said for the first time he's announcing that he's no longer an evangelical Mm. uh, because evangelicalism is not woke enough for him. So you have that extreme where a guy wants to abandon evangelicalism altogether because it's not woke enough. And then you've got Joel Osteen, who's another breed of cat who's an evangelical. And then you you got everything from A to Z in there. So what we were thinking of doing was reclaiming the sort of biblical definitions of evangelical. And Again, going back to an evangelical is somebody who preaches the gospel that comes out of the Word of God and is committed to the authority and inerrancy of Scripture.
1: And these are the people who are going to be driven by the Word, not by the world. They're going to be driven by the scriptures, and, and they're willing to pay the price for it. You talked a little bit about our our dear brother James Coates and uh, other alumni. Uh, I know have contacted you that have experienced significant persecution. Uh, Tim Cantrell in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I know that you've been in touch with him. And uh, talk a little bit about how this commitment to to evangelism to to euangelia. You know, the, this is the gospel commitment. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the manifestations of suffering these brothers are enduring.
2: Well, it was an interesting thing. There was an article that came out in the Alberta uh, media that the same prison that James Coates is in, uh, they released a uh, convicted uh, sex offender, yeah, child molester, and the police put out a bulletin that was in the newspapers that they were convinced that when he got out of jail, he'd do it again. So they kept James, they've kept James locked up in prison, who's a preacher of the gospel, and they've led a child molester loose. Um, um, so while they want to uh, attribute this as to some health issue, the truth of the matter is there is hostility uh, toward the gospel, and that's that's inevitable if you're faithful. James is faithful, and so this is inevitable. Um, and the Lord has used it to double or triple the size of his church while he's in prison. It's <laughs>
1: <That's> incredible.
2: <laughs> yeah, so people are People, you know, I I've, I think I wrote an article for the Daily Wire. It just popped up yesterday um, along the lines of maybe the, the kind of pop Christianity era is over because the persecution is going to get ramped up. Um, if they pass the Equality Act, which is likely, if not now, soon we're 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 all going to be a, you know in violation of the law if we don't have lgbtq uh, access to everything we do um and a whole lot of other you know things what they've done is criminalized righteousness and legalize sin yeah so everything is so flipped in the world that we can't navigate this world without violating the law um that means that christianity is is not going to be popular, people are going to pay a price to be a Christian, and that means that there's no sense in pretending to be one. I mean, what's the value? Why would you pretend to be a Christian if people resented Christianity? So it has a way of um, sort of filtering the hypocrites out. So I think in that sense it's, it's a plus, it's a positive thing. I, I can not I was listening to Joel Osteen the other day just for a few minutes on television making promises that were absolute lies. <laughs> Yeah, he was just saying, you can, you'll be this and do this and you can do this and, and, you know, people are locked up with masks on and they can't go anywhere and he's telling them they can become anything they want and their dreams can become fulfilled and yeah. it just sounded stupid. Yeah. Just plain stupid. And people know it's not true. So I, I think the phony stuff, the, you know, all the prophets who prophesied the election of Trump and all the healers, there was a healer out here uh, Sunday, out at the driveway, we were all coming in said, "Jesus heals, Jesus heals and i said you know why isn 't he over at the hospital yeah nobody 's sick here, but there 's a whole hospital two blocks away where people are sick so the the the, the, the superficial phoniness in the the serious times like this uh, when people are asking really profound questions, and there 's an elevation in suicide and mental illness and all that. I just don't know how that flies in the future. I don't know how that survives. Uh, as persecution ramps up, it, pur- it purifies the church, and I think this is a great time to be alive if people are faithful to proclaim the gospel. If you're stuck on the woke end of this thing, you, 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 what you have to say is about as useless as reading a phone book.
1: Yeah. you That Daily Wire article, two things. One, it always blows my mind whenever you come in and say, I was listening to Charles Stanley this morning, or I was watching Joel Osteen. MacArthur, why do you do that to yourself?
2: You know, is my... it, is
1: it, does it just fuel you? Do you turn on TBN for a second? Is it just kind of, is it like kind of a, a Red Bull for you?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it just kind of charges me up. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> you,
1: were, you were lacking that passion, you know, so I'm glad that you found something that would... Motivate your your fight. Uh, okay, sorry, that wasn't a real question. Here's here's the real question. So I'm looking at that Daily Wire article, and and that's one of many opportunities, and we'll highlight some of those things that have come as a result of this this lockdown and and uh, our stand uh, to keep our church open. There's been so many opportunities at our church, and then nationally for you. Uh, but Daily Wire articles are one of those and, and those are getting a lot of, a lot of uh, people reading those that, that haven't read us before. So this is one of the lines you put in there. Scripture says it's a mark of apostasy when preachers cater to people who will not tolerate sound biblical teaching but demand to have their ears tickled with half-truths and fables. It's a great sentence. Is that the state of preaching today?
2: Yeah, for the most part, I think that's that's the popular preaching. I can't say that in every case, but the, the media dominate. The media is dominated. The religious media is dominated by absolutely useless preaching that can be defined that way. It's very hard to find any serious handling of Scripture in media forms of Christianity mm-hmm. um, and mega churches as such. Uh, yeah, and I think um, underlying that, look, it, it, it's a simple thing to to say. But if you're a preacher, you preach what you have the most confidence in, because you're trying to persuade people. And if you have most confidence in the Scripture, you're 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 a preacher of the Bible. If you have most confidence in yourself, you preach yourself. It, it doesn't take it doesn't take much um, discernment to to listen to a guy and know if he's making it up as he goes. They make it sound biblical by finding a a, a Scripture they can use as a pretext and jumping off of it and and not explaining the Scripture, but using it as a pretext for some other idea. But no, yeah, I mean, I'm serious in saying that the problem in in evangelicalism at this point is if you said to the average non-believer, what is an evangelical, the names they would give you would all be rejected. By you, you'd say, "Well, well, no, no, not that guy, not that guy, uh, not this." person. I, I said to some some people some time ago, I said, "I don't know if it weren't for Jesus, I don't know if I could sell evangelical Christianity to anybody." Yeah. But if it had to depend on the on the the lineup, you know, the popular lineup, you've got some of them that are up to their eyeballs in politics in Washington. And that irritates the daylights out of all the Democrat sinners on their way to hell. And you got some of them who are narcissistic self-promoters, and that irritates any people with any sense of propriety and humility. And where where do you find just the the truth coming through? Uh, so it, it it's um it's not that it isn't out there. It's just that. It's not, it's not as visual. It's not to say that there aren't faithful pastors in lots of places, but the form of evangelicalism that comes across in the dominant media is a misrepresentation of Scripture. Well,
1: and there's a big difference between expository preaching and preachers who say, the Bible says. Yeah. You don't like it when guys say, the Bible
2: says. No, I don't. Don't, don't tell me what the Bible says. Let the Bible say it.
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, this, you read us the whole book of Exodus this morning, so you are modeling that yeah, you don't yeah. just reference, well, Exodus says we should be separate. No, you, you proved it.
2: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't like, and I hear preachers say that, the, the, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Why, why would I believe you? Let the Bible say it. Mm. But you're not going to let the Bible say it unless you exposit it. It's good. Why should I believe you? You can say the Bible says, but how do I know the Bible says? So that's one big step removed from what you ought to be doing. You ought to be letting the Bible speak. And in expository, not only reading it, that's why you're supposed to read the Scripture, uh, but explaining the meaning of the text lets the Bible speak. I mean, when you were listening this morning to 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 7, 1, who was talking to you, me, or was God speaking through His Word? As you unpack that text, God speaks. That is far different than me saying, the Bible says you guys ought to be separated. That's, that has no authority. That has no power. Uh, let let God say it in His own words. And
1: that's your commitment has been. For, but I,
2: just to follow up on yeah. that, I hear preachers say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and th- that's putting way too much uh, weight on the preacher. Don't tell me that. How do I know? How do I know that this? This is an assumed authority. Good. It's also a sign of laziness because it's hard work to let the Bible speak. Yeah.
1: Training preachers is your legacy. You've invested your life not only in the hard work of preaching from this pulpit, but you've entrusted that work to to men represented by these guys here, by uh, are more than a thousand graduates from the master seminary, and you 've poured your life into to teaching guys uh, to preach to entrusting uh, to them and I think one of the things that you 've been saying a lot lately is you want to see more reproduction of faithfulness uh, as you look at your uh, the decade that you 're in. Uh, of your life and and have all these decades of faithfulness and of investing in men. Encourage the guys here today that they need to be doing this as well. Talk about your passion for training men, for investing in men, for raising up more Bible preachers.
2: Well, what comes to my mind is the illustration. I I mentioned to you that a few weeks ago I have a a new little great-grandson. He's the latest edition of John MacArthur, John Owen MacArthur. And uh, he's 14 months, and he made his first tour around Grace Church on a Sunday. He just got to walking, and so he started at the fountain, and he's going all the way around the building after church, dodging people's legs and grabbing a pant leg to hold himself up while his dad was trailing him and seeing where he's going. And somebody said to me, Oh my goodness, that little boy, it's what a sad thing that had to be born into this time with the world as badly, uh, uh, as bad off as it is. And I said, no, this is the time that God designed Him for. Mm. This is His time. This is our time. We've come to the kingdom for just such a time as this. This is not a time for weakness. This is a time for strength. Um, and I tell the, the students at the seminary the same thing, this is your time. Step up. Yeah. But it's not a time for cowards. Um, it's 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 time for, for men who are willing to contend earnestly for the faith. But do it with grace and love and uh, and compassion and kindness um, i I don't think i I just think weak preachers are going to have a hard time uh, one of the challenges I've had through my whole ministry is trying to help the church and pastors get the gospel right the gospel according to Jesus according to the apostles according to Paul according to God, shame to the gospel always. And a lot of books calling the church back to biblical fidelity and faithfulness, and it seemed to me always an uphill climb because you could be so successful if you were if your theology was bad and even your gospel was bad, you could still be very successful. You could have a mega church i 'm um, not sure that 's going to be the same in the future i 'm not sure you can pull off a fake kind of Christianity for two reasons: reason number one is is um, that I don't think people are going to attach to that. I think life is more serious than that, nor do they want to be persecuted for, for something that's superficial. And secondly, it's hard to hide with the internet. Um, even I, I, I get hammered and beat up by all kinds of things that aren't true on the internet. And I said to some guys the other day, I said, do you think if, if the apostle Paul was alive today, he'd be, he'd be attacked by social media? The Apostle Paul. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. He was attacked by whatever mechanisms they had then. He's always defending himself against these people who say he has a secret hidden life of shame. Shame, he's in it for the money. He's falsified his converts. He doesn't have the credentials from Jerusalem. Um, I mean, he suffered all of that. People forsook him. People criticized him. They added pain to his chains, Philippians 1. If, if Paul was alive today, he would be the most attacked Christian on social media um, because that's what the devil uses. Uh, so you have to expect that, but it takes, it takes some courage and conviction not to defend yourselves, but to let your life be its own defense and to be faithful to preach the truth. Um, this is a time for people who don't compromise and uh, we've seen that in James Coates and others like him who are saying, look, you, know, you do what you will you know, if you let me out. He's like John Bunyan. They told Bunyan, you can walk out of the jail if you don't preach. And they told James the same thing. He said, I'll go right back to the church and preach. So this is, a, and, and again, guys, this is your time because God brought you to the kingdom for just such a time as this. So step up and be the man you need to be. It's good. And open your church. Amen,
1: Mac. We've seen God's faithfulness in this last year in our local church in bringing people to faith in Christ. Uh, we're seeing people come forward in in baptism. We're adding members to the church, and it's been, I mean, a lot of work for for our pastors and elders to to meet all these people and and be with you know find, interview them get to know them, help them plug in. And that's been a real joy for us. Some people refugees, but some people just, you know, hurting and, and looking for hope. And so that's been one of the great fruitful evidences of God's grace among us this last year. There's also been some projects that we've worked on. And one that I know you want to talk to the guys about. Um, there's, a, there's a translation of the Bible that you, I think you need to explain it to the guys.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm holding in my hand uh, the the uh, first uh, product, which is the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, the Legacy Standard Version, um, Legacy Standard Bible. Uh, so how did this come about? Well, yeah. the NAS, which I've used for years, uh, the, the people at the Lachman Foundation decided they want to do an update on the NAS to the NAS 2020. From the NAS ninety-five, so twenty-five years later, they they were going to release it. I think it may be available now. They sent some copies of it to me and said, "We want you to take a look at this and see what you think." And I read it and I said, "No, we could never use this. Could never use it." Um, it it followed the the path of almost all modern translations, and it went in the direction of the reader. It was reader sensitive. So they were altering words and phrases to accommodate shifts in language and what the reader's understanding might be. So there's only two ways you can go in translation. You either go forward to the reader, and so you keep changing it because you're chasing the the vernacular of the reader, or you go back to the writer. And the only correct way to translate the Bible is to go back to the source and go to the authorial intent. It's, It's not the job of the translator to produce a text that accommodates the reader. The bridge between the original author and therefore the original text and the reader is the preacher mm-hmm. and the teacher. That's what we do. I don't want somebody taking the text and altering it to accommodate a reader. That's that's wrong to start with. So. When I saw the NAS going in that direction, I, I, we made a plea to the Lockman Foundation, will you let us do a version of this that goes back even more uh, carefully and thoughtfully and tightly to the original text. Yeah. And they granted us the permission to do it, and um, it's incredible, Dr. Abner Chow and faculty of the seminary and the university, six scholars worked one year and, and did it all in one year. That's an a, an epic, yeah. epic work. Never never heard of anything like that being done in a year. And it, I I think it's the best English translation it's ever been, and not because of them, but because of the process they went through. Massive massive amount of materials behind every verse that they researched to get it right. So. A translation should be a window on the original, and it shouldn't be a stained-glass window. It shouldn't be opaque. It shouldn't be fancied up. It's just a window on the original. This is that, yeah. as close as it can get
1: give some examples of some of the, the things that they'll see in a translation like this one that they wouldn't see in in say another well, there's first, lots of translations in english what what makes this one well kind this of one set is out? distinct
2: immediately because in in exodus 315 god says my name is yahweh mm. my name is i am and that is to be my memorial name in other words god's saying that's the name i want you to remember And and there's no English Bible that that includes that. So you read Lord, Adonai, and then you read Lord, Lord, which is really Yahweh, Adonai, two different words, but both translated Lord, one uppercase, one lowercase. So they've obliterated the covenant name of God, I am that I am, which uh, is, uh, it's God saying, I want you to know my name. I want you to know my name. My name is not Allah. My name is not any other name. My name is Yahweh. I am meaning the eternally existing one, the, the first cause, the sovereign one. And when you read the Psalms, uh it's jarring actually to read that. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Yahweh. That's his covenant name by which he wants us to know him. Uh, o God, in the abundance of your loving kindness, answer me with the truth of your salvation. Answer me, O Yahweh, for your loving kindness is good and um Yahweh appears 6800 times in the old testament that's god's covenant name that's his intimate name by which he wants to be known not generic lord uh, but yahweh other and other
1: words that you've preached about and written about that yeah have the doulos, over. Yeah, doulos.
2: doulos in the new testament the word for slave appears there there are many other things that that are incredibly carefully crafted in this translation. Um, Words are translated with a kind of consistency that lets you link them together, and there are illustrations, hundreds and hundreds of illustrations of that. There'll be some material made available where those things can be seen. Um, It's been basically sort of critiqued by many, many scholars, and I think Maybe I heard today ten thousand suggestions have been made and considered. They've considered ten thousand external suggestions from readers that they might want to apply, and they've gone through fastidiously with those. So, uh, I guess the good news is they arrived today. So we're going to give every one of you who are here one of these. It's um, yeah, it's a beautiful edition. It's uh, it's produced in uh, Netherlands. Uh, the finest kind of paper, and, uh, it's got a, we wanted a manly one, so it's got a, a cowhide cover, kind of looks like a saddle, and there were n- quite a number of Italian cows that gave up their life. Because <laughs> we got the leather from Italy. So when you go out, I think, is that right, Mark? Yeah. When you go out the door, there's one for each of you, and it's the we call it the Shepherd's Testament. It has a little Shepherd's rod on the front. Uh, I've carried one of these uh, of of an NAS with the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs with me for years and years, and so that's why I wanted this to be the first one. Yeah. And 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 you've
1: been reading from it at church lately.
2: Yeah. I heard you.
1: I heard. (laughs) I heard me too, but I don't think they can. Can you hear me? Yeah, Yeah. No, it's back. So, the Bibles are outside on tables. And there is
2: a there's a website, Legacy Standard uh, Bible. You can go to that and you'll see a lot of information. Yeah,
1: LS Bible dot org. You can order more. Uh, we also have some available in the both bookstores. The patio bookstore. Oh, they bookstore. can they can buy them. In so you here. get one free. You can free buy, and you can buy more. these these New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. They're on sale for thirty five dollars. So only one per per person. But if you um, You know, want one for your your friend, your wife, your son? You gotta get them their own at the bookstore. So, the people online, I'm sorry, we have nothing for you.
2: Uh, This is just for the three or four that are here. Yes. Yes.
1: You're getting good at this, MacArthur. Mac, what else has happened this year um, that you're thanking God for and what encouragement do you have for
2: these men? Uh, Well, again, I I think um, I think we have the greatest opportunity that I've seen in my entire lifetime for the gospel because there are so many means by which we can disseminate it. And while there's the same opportunity for all that is evil and all that is wicked, uh, the truth can can also penetrate the world in ways that it never could in the past. Uh, this is the greatest revival of sound doctrine in, in world history. It's over the globe everywhere. Um, the The truth of the Word of God is basically being heard every second of every day by millions of people around the globe, so this is a great, great, great opportunity. And I think um, if if I were a young pastor in these days, I I would be ecstatic to think about coming to the kingdom for a time like this. Um, It's like Paul said when he talked about Ephesus, there's a wide open door, but there are many adversaries. Yeah. So the door is open, but you're going to have to, you know, fight the good fight. But these are the, these are the best of times. Um, there's, a, there's a level of desperation with people. There's almost, a, there's almost kind of a, a, I don't know, an eschatological angst in people. There's mm-hmm. almost like a, a feeling like things are, are getting worse and they'll never get better. Uh, there's a kind of hopelessness. Um, whatever the American dream was, um, people are seeing that being stolen from them. And even the people who have acquired certain things found the emptiness of that. Um, and what exacerbates that is the, the complete disintegration of all meaningful relationships in marriage and family. Those are the things that secure people and give them love and hope and happiness, and even on a temporal level, with the complete destruction of the family by the LGBTQ people, um, women, you know, going around who have killed their babies in their wombs, um, who are fraught with guilt. I mean, this is a completely dismembered culture from the standpoint of human relations. Um, And that level of desperation needs the truth, not stupid, positive thinking messages that uh, don't help. And they they really, um, they really never satisfy. So I think for the, the, we know the truth does. And so preaching the truth, we, we are the most important people in the world. Hmm. So go for it.
1: Awesome. Thank you, MacArthur. I know that I speak on behalf of of everyone here that uh, we're grateful for you. We, we love to stand with you. We love you. We're We're grateful for your influence on our lives and ministries.
0: So thank you for your time
1: with us this afternoon. It's always a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org.